0: Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with me today is MSNBC uh, contributor and a former, like me, former Catholic altar boy, <laughs> Kurt <laughs> Bardella, who's also, also worked with a former... Uh, uh, Congressman uh, Daryl Issa, who was on a board with me, a Lebanese-American society a time ago, um, I, I hosted an, an event where they told me, whatever you do, don't make jokes because uh, he'll, he'll get upset. So I, I said, what's the, so I, actually I did. I said, what's the difference between a Republican and a Democrat? And uh, they said, what? And I said, well, Democrat will pick your pocket, but the Republican will just take your pants. <laughs> <laughs> i and think he, he laughed that joke pardon i think he'd like that joke yeah actually. he did he laughed he la- so that that put everybody at ease and then we took their money anyway okay. well, <laughs> well, so kurt's with us and we'll be back right after this break Hi, we're back. It's Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. Like I said, with me is Kurt Pardella, who's also, you can see him on MSNBC uh, with uh, uh, Morning Joe and uh journalist. And, uh, and I have to add, at some point in time, we got to talk about that country music thing.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> as Morning hangover. Uh, <laughs> Morning hang, I, I, you know I'll tell you, on July 5th, I did my Morning Joe hit from a bar in nashville a bunch of booze behind me it was great it was a lot of fun (laughs) when what what attracted you to country music you know in uh had to have been around 2010 or a friend of mine just had an extra ticket to a show at the amphitheater up the road from me in virginia and i went yeah sure i'll go go to any live music type of thing right and i just had a blast i had so much fun started going to shows that summer and just became this really really big fan and much to my shock, I, you know, I had this idea for a daily morning email about country music, kind of like how in our world we have reliable <laughs> sources and, and right. playbook and Axios. And I thought, man, it'd be really cool if something like that existed for country music. And I just started doing it as a hobby just for fun in 2016 because the world was awful. and I needed something to take my mind off of this place. And it just caught on in on, in Nashville and Music Row. The entire industry started reading it. Wow. Soon the label started sponsoring it every week. And I, you know, and I started getting invited to all these shows and events and getting to meet all these artists and you know, become <laughs> friends with a lot of them. And it's been, uh, you know, of all the things that I missed during the, the COVID lockdown, going to live music is the top of that list. Uh, I went to 60, 70 shows in 2019 <coughs> and go from that to nothing. Was just horrible, and so I
0: agree. Um, I play in a band, and it's tough. But I, I country music. I'm I've always liked bluegrass. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. So, little uh, uh you know, Lebanese boy growing up in Louisville. I I was rock and roll and southern rock, but the commercial uh, commercial country was not my my thing. But I I still listen to bluegrass. I love that and I yeah. bluegrass festivals and oh yeah. You know, yeah if If you are ever in the mood to go out and see some rock and roll, I invite you to come see my band. Okay, we're going to make that happen. (laughs) So let's, the point at hand, I I guess in just asking the question, we've both gone through, you know, four years of Donald Trump. And I guess the question at this point is, do you think we live in a dystopia?
1: You know, we're not there yet. But I think that we are so much closer than most people either want to admit or even realize. Um, I, 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 for so long, I've observed that there's been too many people within the Republican Party who who treated Trump as if it was a temporary anomaly that would go away if he went away, which, of course, we know has turned out to be completely yeah. right? And I think there are so many in the Democratic Party who felt that by dispatching Trump, things would quote, go back to normal when in reality, things have gotten actually much worse. I mean, if you were to pull people in the political media community and ask them the question, will things get better or worse after Donald Trump loses in November of 2020? Almost everybody have said, oh, it'll get better universally. And and, and the sad reality is our politics have actually gotten worse and the Republican party has gotten even more extreme, which I don't think anybody even imagine that would be possible uh i certainly was in that camp like it, how much worse could it get like at some point you hit the bottom well they've they clawed through the bottom and are and, and are in the
0: basement now with uh marjorie taylor green and uh bobert i mean i watched her you know prance around in, in on uh in cpac like a fascist cheerleader
1: i, I mean I, I, when you look at what cpac is now and compare yes. it to when Mitt Romney was the Republican standard bearer for the Republican Party, I mean it's unrecognizable. I mean it's not in the galaxy in terms of just what the conversation is about, what the issues are, what animates the people that are there. I mean this is a place that literally gave Mitt Romney a standing ovation at one point in time. Right, right. Yeah. I was there. I, I'm, and I look at it, and the,
0: it's not just CPAC, but it's everything. You know, I interviewed Michael Cohen recently, and Joe Walsh, and both of them said that they think the Republican Party doesn't even exist anymore, and that it will disintegrate into a regional, strong regional party, but not a national party. I don't know if I'm convinced of that. I I think there's some danger in this in in the uh, Republican Party, and as you said, I don't think people are aware of it, and I am in the White House every day, and I can guarantee you that this White House is not, doesn't... I don't know if they're not
1: aware of it. I know they don't project the image that they're aware of it. Right. I mean, I think that a little bit of that is you almost don't want to breathe more life into something this horrible because it might perpetuate it and make it so, right? You know, it's like self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I, I would like to think, and I know a lot of people in the White House who, if there's one thing that I think probably keeps some of those people up at night, it's, 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 The destructive politics that we are in right now that have brought us to the precipice of I'm not going to say outright civil war but the fact that there is a a group of people in this country that is actively agitating for for violence to achieve their political means is is the most dangerous thing that we have experienced in America since the actual civil war
0: yeah and I I want to ask you about that that takes me to the big lie um, you know, uh, I can't. Uh, Megan Kelly saying, look, it was overplayed that the insurrection on uh, January 6th wasn't that big a deal. I've heard it was either a hoax. It was an FBI undercover job. It was uh, Antifa. It was it, it was uh, just people visiting and they were friendly. And when you talk to Trumpers, they're willing and able to believe all four of those scenarios at the same time, which is to say is Orwellian is like to say that water is wet. I mean, they're, they're willing to believe this uh, sight unseen. And look, I was there. I was threatened. I um, I remember watching the guys crawl the wall like Spider-Man. And I said, hey, you idiots, there's, there's steps at either side. Mm-hmm. And somebody's going to break their neck. And they did. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you. But it was violent. It was dangerous. And if we don't prosecute those people, there is the fear that this will perpetuate itself and be worse the next time around. Uh,
1: I've been so vocal in the need to actually have a January 6th investigation done at the congressional level, because if you aren't willing to uncover and expose everybody who played a role in helping that happen, you're giving them permission to do it again and and, and to, to your point if we do not prosecute to the fullest extent of the law the people who are part of what i believe to be an act of domestic terrorism on american soil if you don't do that you're saying it's okay you are condoning right. it by doing nothing um you know for, what do you think um, will happen not enough um i think that when i think about the, the select committee that's just been formed you know people that need to be brought under oath to testify are people like Kevin McCarthy, Mike Pence, people who who were there, who lived it, who have real-time information about how the levers of power were activated or ignored to to try to uh, intervene uh, during a riot. And I don't think that those people, even if they were subpoenaed, would show up. I think that they would say, screw you guys. We're not not—we're not, we're gonna do what we want. We're not gonna answer questions. And there's nothing you can do about that because the lesson that they learned during the last four years is that if you don't like the question, if you don't like what's being done, just ignore it, flaunt it. There are no checks and balances. The most dangerous thing that happened over the last four years during the Trump presidency was the complete erosion of checks and balances when we talk about the institutional things that were harmed during the Trump years and watching time and again Congress issue subpoenas, have them ignored, and then nothing happened because of that is, you know, was mind blowing to me as someone who worked at the oversight committee when Darrell Issa was chairman, who issued more than hundred subpoenas to the Barack Obama administration, who started the investigations that led to things like the Benghazi committee that resulted in Hillary Clinton testifying for, you know, 11, 13 hours right. uh, during an election year. Hearing every day Republicans on that committee, like Jim Jordan, like Mark Meadows, like Mike Pompeo, talk about, well, the only path to the truth is through the House of Representatives. Holding the Attorney General Eric Holder in contempt of Congress for not cooperating with an investigation. Watching those people completely ignore all of those things to, to let Donald Trump and his administration run roughshod over checks and balances, it, it was like an alternate reality to watch that unfold
0: well it's hypocrisy at its at its finest or at its worst depending on i I, so that takes me back to the first question again if and not the country music question but (laughs) but if we're talking about dystopia if we're not and i i would say if you'd step back you could almost say we are a dystopia because you, you look at people living in boxes underneath you know uh overpasses in, in dc la the largest cities it's like they're like you know extras from a mad max movie plus you have people storming the capital which wasn't even done during the civil war and right. you look at it and one could make a pretty good argument for the dystopia currently but if not enough is done if we do not uh rely or regain our checks and balances then it seems to me that if we're not at a dystopia, man, we're, like you said, we're close and I don't think there's any way to stop us from becoming one.
1: Yeah, I think that when I look at particularly the systemic effort to influence who can even participate in our democratic process, uh, that is the March to dystopia because the nightmare scenario, it isn't, isn't January 6th per se, it's that Republicans effectively rig the election before it can happen by undermining who can participate in it, thereby ensuring that they will always win. And I don't know what happens when they declare themselves the winner and everybody else says, well, that's total nonsense for a myriad of legitimate reasons. And, and you have the lack of, uh, of confidence in the eternity of our elections then from both sides. Republicans refuse to accept election realities right now, but Democrats will have an absolute substantive argument to make that the elections that happen going forward in states that have limited who can participate, have purged voter rolls, have limited the window in which elections are even happening and when ballots are conducted, like that's a legitimate reason to question the integrity of an election when those things are happening right and and these things are being codified into law by republican state legislators right now right now and so when both sides ultimately lose confidence in the system what are we then because we're not a functioning democracy anymore well, i would say that's anarchy and yeah. that's
0: dystopia dystopia
1: yeah are we headed towards anarchy in
0: 2022
1: that depends, I think, on what can be done right now to to f- combat some of these voter uh, suppression efforts that Republicans are engaging in. And I, and I look at what's happened right now in Texas as a great example of, here is uh, you know, the Democratic Party standing up to that by making sure that it doesn't happen. Um, you, What we do at a national level with the voting reform and the John Lewis Act and all of that is going to, I think, inform whether or not we are able to stave off reaching that dystopian uh, model or, or or if we're able to kind of like this is going to be our standing we're gonna we're gonna fight it back uh, before it overruns us do you have confidence or hope that we can or are you uh, of the opinion that we
0: are uh, headed towards dystopia without uh, without the ability
1: to change course you know the one thing that always gives me optimism and I'm not buying by nature an optimistic guy. When it comes to politics, I'm pretty jaded <laughs> to this point. Um, but the one thing that continually gives me optimism is the Republican Party has, for reasons that I don't even understand, decided to double down on an orthodoxy that, that is incapable of growing in numbers. They are, they, they are not a party that's going to grow. The demographics are against them in this country. The population overall is moving towards a specific direction that is away from them. When you think about it in the big picture in that way, it is inevitable that Republicans will eventually find themselves out of power. This is why they're doing all things you're doing now. They know that too. They know when the playing field is actually level, they can't win. The Republicans haven't won. A popular vote in this country since 2004, and before that, they only had one at one time, and that was in 1988. So, you know, it, it, there is a a number of, of indicators and metrics that tell you in the big picture the Republican Party is pretty much screwed. Is there anyone, gives me optimism.
0: that the one that makes you optimistic? Republicans are screwed as a former Republican and a former altar boy. Uh, let's. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's that question is there anyone in the republican party today deserving of
1: respect at the national yes. level who yeah I, I think that mitt romney is i think that adam kingzinger is i think that uh, and you know,
0: they're disparaged by the rest of the republicans
1: oh they're despised they, they are censured there. i mean i think people like jeff flake even out of you know arizona i think of cindy mccain uh as well who is he dangerous. left um but again, this is the thing, you know, you mentioned earlier, someone that said that the Republican Party is effectively dead, and, 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 and it is, you know, it, the Republican Party is a Republican and name only party. They are using that moniker, but nothing about what they actually stand for, talk about, fight for as anything to do with traditional Republican and or conservative values. And what are those values that are that they should stand for that
0: they do not?
1: The most fundamental tenet of, of Republicanism is, is, is really about the role of government in our lives. It's it, 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 Republicans are the ones that talk about having a limited government that has a limited amount of power and influence over the people that they serve. When you look at what the Republican Party stands for today is actually the complete opposite of that. It. It's the Republican Party that wants to tell you whether you can even vote or not. It's Republican Party that wants to tell you whether or not uh, you know, your business should be able to act a certain way or face a consequence. When, when, for all the conversation about cancel culture, Republicans are actually now the biggest offenders of cancel culture. Yes, They're, absolutely. They are for using the instruments of government to penalize people and go after private enterprises that they just don't agree with, which is one of the most anti-Republican things. Imagine if Barack Obama that said, I'm going to use my Justice Department to target company A, B, or C because I don't like them. They would have lost their damn mind. Imagine if- Well, one can argue they have lost their damn mind. They they sure as hell (laughs) have. I watch the things that Republicans are fighting for and advocating for and say, oh, we- you know, this." I don't know what they're fighting for. I only know what they're fighting
0: against. I don't know what they- I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, because, you know, look, I've often said- we have a, a, a problem in this country with the two-party system. We have one party that is a party of no heart and one is a party of no head. And, <laughs> and you can, you know, the, the Democrats managed to stumble over a very low bar uh, set by Donald Trump, but it doesn't give me any confidence that they're going to be able to elevate the country to where it should be. And for all of those who want to get pissed at me, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. But, but the point is, is at least when it comes to a Democrat, when I sit down and talk to a, dem, a member of the Democratic Party, I feel like I'm talking to someone who wants to, who has an idea of where they want government to go, will make a proposal, right. will, will adhere to social norms and rules. I don't yes. get that from the Republicans at all. It's my way or the highway. It's like, it's like dealing with a school bully, which is what Donald Trump was. And they have taken his... You know
1: they've taken his ideas and made them their own. I mean it's 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 ironic because and I think that bully analogy is is so is so right. And, and you know I've always said I wish if I could go back to a specific place in time in the last five years, it would be the first presidential primary debate when Trump pretty much annihilated you know Jeb Bush. Yeah. And and, and, and you know, low energy Jeb and little Marco and lying Ted Cruz. And if any one of them had actually had the intestinal fortitude to just walk up to Donald Trump and snap and just slap him across the face, it'd be over for Trump. Like, that'd be game over because that's what you do with bully. It's exactly right. That's what I tried to do in the in the White
0: House was just stand up to him as he tried to push because that's, you know, my dad, you know, and a good Catholic father that he was said the only way to deal with a Well, a bully was to thump him one. And,
1: you know, I'm not going to punch Donald Trump I mean, I can tell you, if someone said on a national stage the things that Donald Trump said about Ted Cruz's wife and father if that if that were my family I would have walked up to him and just knocked him out just <laughs> just based on that alone yeah I mean and he would have had every right to do so and and, tr- and 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 I guarantee you Trump's facade of macho tough guy stronger than you would fall like a house of cards. But no one did that. Everybody cowered in fear and, and spent the next four years worrying about what if he calls me a name on Twitter? I'm like, are you freaking, where the hell, Where are your balls? Are you kidding Well, me? they put them in a blind trust. You yeah, know? yeah really. I mean, Somebody said
0: to me, were aren't you upset because Donald Trump called you, you, you names? I go, hell, I've been called
1: worse by people who love me. Yeah. <laughs> who gives a shit? I really Listen, we're going to hear that was allowed to spread off of this nonsense, I don't understand because I'm just not wired that way. Someone, I'm not wired that way. Either. Like if someone yeah. wants a confrontation, like okay, I'll get your grill. Just I have no problem with that. Yeah, I've got uh, yeah, I absolutely have no problem. And I feel that. like that's how you deal with people like Donald Trump or people like Matt Gates or people like Lauren Bobart. Like they're all bullies, cut from the same cloth to a certain degree.
0: Yeah, just stand up to them, and they don't, you know, uh, well we'll talk a little bit more of that on the other side of this first break. Uh, we've got Kurt Bartella with us, and he's talking about punching out Donald Trump. Well, <laughs> so <laughs> hang around. We'll be right back. Just ask the question. Facts you can hear. Hey, JATQ podcast listeners. As you know, now more than ever, the truth is hard to come by. Misinformation and bias seem to be almost everywhere. But, don't let those
1: fear-mongers get you down. Just ask the questions and help support a vital pillar of democracy by subscribing to our brand new Patreon page. We are independent, fact-oriented, and never partisan. Help us keep bringing you the objective news you need at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. That's patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
0: Hi, it's Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Karaman. With us, Kurt Pardell. Kurt was just talking about punching out Trump, um, (laughs) which is, I got to tell you, very funny. But um, I want to go back to something we were talking about uh, with Republicans and Democrats and I was talking to Eric Swalwell recently, and he said he ran in, uh, he was in a bathroom one day and ran into Ted Cruz, and Ted Cruz said, hey, you're doing a great job. Way to go. Way to get in there and do what you got to do, and he said, Brian, it, it occurred to me that they don't look at their people that they serve as their constituents, but rather as their fans, and they're playing to a fan base, and it's all performance art. The danger with that, of course, is that we don't get stuff done in politics because politics isn't supposed to be performance art. It's supposed to be performance. Um, do you see the Republicans that way, or is it is it different? Yeah, here's
1: the thing. The audience doesn't know its performance. The politicians do, and that's the problem. I, I've always yes. said that the Republican Party today, so much of it reminds me of, of WWE. Thank and you. That, I've said that too. That we have these characters uh that that every day I wake up and they they walk out to the ring and, and and just you know talk trash for lack of a better term say they're going to do x y and z beat up somebody all that right and get the roar of the applause c-pack might as well have been wrestlemania you uh, it was for, for it, these guys
0: i mean when i watched uh, uh lauren bobert that's re- exactly what it reminded yeah. me of and there are people who believe that, you know, WWE is real.
1: And a lot of those people. I'll tell you something. WWE is a lot more real than Republican Party is right now. Oh, my God. Um, you know, at least some of these folks who, who you know truly do live their gimmick. You know, the, the most successful, I've always said, the most successful personalities in politics, entertainment, music, are the people who are truly themselves. And they just turn it up a few notches when the camera is on. Right. Stone Cold Steve Austin is Stone Cold Steve Austin 24 7. That's not an act. He really is a, a redneck, hillbilly, beer swilling, foul mouth guy from Illinois, Texas. Dwayne the Rock Johnson really is the most electrifying man in all of entertainment. He is charismatic. He is larger than life. That's real. The problem for Republicans is the only person who actually lives his gimmick per se is Donald Trump. Like what yeah. does he Yeah. He is who he is consistently who he is all the time Ted Cruz is pretending Kevin McCarthy is pretending all these other people that we see day in and day out the ones who would give Eric Swalwell the pat on the back yeah. they are pretending to be something that they are not for the fans aka the voters the, the constituents difference between, the difference between WWE and politics however is in WWE the fan in the crowd isn't going to turn to the guy next to him and hit him with a steel chair in politics now, the guy next to you could very well show up to your United States Capitol and storm it <laughs> with violent intention. Yeah, and they did. Um,
0: so let, let's talk a little bit about that. Although I I, <laughs> I will say that um, before we close on that issue, that I have often thought that Matt Gates, Jim Jordan, and a lot of the, and Ted Cruz, those that are acting, I look at them and they
1: remind me of the kids in grade school that were always picked last for kickball. Oh my God. You, you want to bet how many times Ted Cruz was swirly growing up and freaking. <laughs> this guy has, has trash can written all over him.
0: <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> there's a mental image that will soon not leave my head. <laughs> you know what? He probably deserved it too. Yeah. That's he probably <laughs> I'm sure Matt Gates. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Matt Gates lost a, a few pairs of underwear to Swirlies. Uh, but, <laughs> he has some wedgies, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Wedgie Swirlies and uh, the, or as we called them when we were kids, Undie Grundies. But um, <laughs> so um, but now I've lost my thought. Who's oh, <laughs> <laughs> in charge of this podcast? What's happening right yeah, now? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, moving forward, let's let's talk about. Uh, the, the big lie in the insurrection. This is a dangerous, it seems exceedingly dangerous that this continues and Trump continues his uh, march into uh, insurrection. Where, what do you think the uh, end game is for this? I know, well, and, and I want to keep this separate from does he run for office, but let's just talk about the end game for the insurrection. What do you think that will be? Here's the ironic thing.
1: The whole big lie it's just it's just his excuse for why he lost it's like this guy is so fragile emotionally he can't fathom losing to anybody especially joe biden sleepy joe so he he manufactures this cover story so that he can sleep at night not even yeah. thinking about anybody else, or caring about anybody else. Like, you know, I don't think he ever Trump, cares about anybody else or thinks about anyone else. I, I think it's just a, yeah, anyway. Like everything about Donald Trump comes down to Donald Trump. Yes. From that, somehow, a movement is born out of this insane cover story to, to make up and compensate for a man's fragile ego, people latch on to this story. And I think that their motivations are, are very different than Donald Trump's. Donald Trump's motivation is, to, is just to be able to sleep at night and feel like he's a winner because he's a small dick, idle-minded dumbass. The other people- oh, Tell us what though, you really think. <laughs> I, 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 and that's the, the sanitized version of that, obviously. You can um, be as unsanitized as you want here. <laughs> the other part of this, though, the people who are using this and feeling it, the people at Fox News, the people in conservative media, so-called conservative media, the people like Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene or Kevin McCarthy or, or Chip Roy or whoever, they are using this for the sole purpose of clinging to power. They see it as an ends to a means for them to get the outcome in the election that they want because they know there's no other way for them to win other than this right now. Well, and
0: what's frightening about it is as they call and scream hoax in the election and, and voter fraud, none of them are contending that their victory should be looked at, though
1: they were on the same ballot. <laughs> I mean, uh, talk about cognitive dissonance. It's like, if the election was... So you're telling me that this great conspiracy came into play, and 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 in doing so they decided that, well, we're going to make sure that Joe Biden wins, but all the other Republicans who won, they can stay. Like, <laughs> what the hell kind of conspiracy would that be? Yeah, we, we like Lauren Boebert. Let's make sure she wins. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, you think they would have used this conspiracy to get rid of some people like Lindsey Graham or Ted Cruz <laughs> or Kevin McCarthy or some, you know, some of the awful, horrible, what it's like. No, all of you seem to think that your election was legitimate. It's just the one election that you lost, right, and they can't um, explain that, there's no factual basis for for this at
0: all, and the frightening part was there were Republicans and Democrats, and I mean, I've worked on elections, and have, you know, interviewed people who work those elections, those people put in a lot of hours, and they work together, and they're neighbors, and some are Republicans, some are Democrats, some are independents, but when they sit there in that room, they care more about the process and they care more about the integrity of the election than these people who are screaming and ranting and raving about it and oh, that's absolutely.
1: frightening i mean and the th- people who who work um you know actually do the work of showing up to the polls and putting in it's like it's something that it's a tradition for them it, it, you yeah. know, it, it, it is people who honest to god feel a sense of civic duty and are participating in, in our process in a way that makes them feel proud it makes them feel involved and and it has nothing to do with partisanship or who's going to win or who's going to lose. It's just something that they do and to pay to pay our democracy forward. Um, I've always thought that those are the people when I go and vote and and, and, and see the folks who are checking people in or the one who's giving you the sticker when you walk. out. like, those are the real like yeah, that's, of democracy.
0: Yeah, it, it is. Let's skip forward to 2022 and 2024. 2022 do you think the republicans win back either the house or the senate
1: i don't and, and i know i'm in the minority of those who, who who think that and i should disclose i'm a consultant for the d triple for the cycle um but Old disclosure I, okay uh, all about that all about the one anyone say how come how come he didn't say that um i think that number one Anybody sitting here today who says the election is going to be about A, B, or C has no freaking idea what they're talking about, because I can sit here with all and tell you, I couldn't tell you what we're going to be talking about come June, July of 2022, okay? No one predicted Trump in 2016, so right. that's, yeah. And, but what I do know is, God willing the electorate will be in a better frame of mind in 2022 than they were last year when they were locked up in their homes dealing with the pandemic that killed half a million Americans. Hopefully we will not be in that situation again. So on the fundamental level of, is your life better today than it was before? The answer for most Americans will be yes. And I've always thought that that was, that, that is always the fundamental litmus test of an election and and of the mood of the electorate is that basic question. And when you look at things like the overall economy will certainly be doing better, people will have more jobs, people will have more wages, the policies that the president, this administration have enacted are putting more money in people's pockets, particularly people who are making less than $100,000 a year in this country. A lot of things are gonna be happening that are gonna be happening right. And there will be less noise versus what we dealt with the last four years of every day, a Twitter barrage, something crazy and insane. People will be out of the house, living their lives, concerned about the future, but the future will at least look a lot better than it did in 2020. That alone makes me think that Democrats have a better chance than people are giving them credit for. People who handicap these things look at what the world looks like. Even with
0: voter suppression efforts in several states?
1: oh hey that's an uphill battle between gerrymandering and voter suppression like hey this thing could be over before it begins that's that's entirely possible just by those mechanisms however i do think that the fundamental problem for the republican party and i think it could be a fatal problem and it's something you said earlier when you talk to republicans i don't know what they're fighting for yeah i know I don't think, I don't think
0: I don't think Mitch McConnell's ever even proposed legislation right. <laughs> he just he I'm just a roadblock standing here and that and people get tired of that after a while
1: I and mean I it's taken a that, long while but you can only go so long being against everything and for nothing before it catches up to you politically and, and, and I think that the the Republican credit on that brand of politics is running out
0: so then let's skip forward to 2024. Do you believe that Donald Trump will run again? Yes. You do?
1: Assuming he's alive? And assuming well, he's
0: I, I don't know if he's alive now, but that's a, that's a different issue.
1: Assuming, <laughs> I, assuming he's alive and not in jail. Yes, I do. I,
0: I, I think he'd run if he were alive in, and in jail. I, but I also think it could be a weekend at Bernie's thing where they'll just come out with a string and move his hand up and down. Uh, but I think, I, I, I think it's a grift. I think everything the guy does is a grift, and I think he's—he might talk himself into running because he sees it. You know, he loves going out like a tent revivalist. I—I I, I often compare him to you know the old, uh, you know, the old road shows for for religion when they would show up in the south. You know, and tent revival and
1: hoop and holler and speaking tongues. He'll run and raise a billion dollars, and that's really all he cares about.
0: Yeah. Well, he's going to need it. Uh, I I think that now, do you think he'll, he will face indictments?
1: Yes. Yes, I do.
0: Yeah, I do too. I I, I think that's goes without, well, we. And and it's because
1: it's not that they commit crimes. It's how brazenly stupid they all are in effectuating those crimes that I have no doubt that when you have buffoons like Rudy Giuliani running around, yeah, they're going to get indicted.
0: Yeah, well, look, there's no shortage of idiots in in Donald Trump's circle. I mean, it was got to be ridiculous on a daily basis walking into that White House, and they did not even understand. And I'll I'll tell you a a very quick story about someone who shall remain nameless, Hogan Gabley. So um, John Bennett and I, who was with the Hill at the time, we walked in to ask him about using the Posse Comitatus Act because Trump was talking about uh, sending troops to the border. And so Republicans are well versed in the Posse Comitatus Act because they're the ones who often, you know, talk about it. You know, you can't send troops down there without. So they go and they get, you know, a, a, a permission from Congress to send troops. And we walk down to ask and this member of Trump's team. <clears> Hogan <throat> Gridley said, uh, I, I said, you know, are you going to use the possibility? And he goes, is that like a rule or is that like, what, what is that? And I go, what's well, well, a federal law passed in the 1880s or 90s? And you've got to go and get permission from Congress. And so we talked about a few other things. And then as we left, uh, you know, uh, Bennett's reiterated, are you going to get back to us on that? And he goes, yeah, I'll get back to you about that. H- h- hakuna Matata thing. And <laughs> we left and he goes, Really, Hakuna Matata, the Lion King. <laughs> he's he's quoting Disney. <clears throat> was completely unaware of what Posse Comitatus Act was, and there were, and that's a microcosm of the problem we had in there every day. They did not understand federal law, nor did they really care. And right. I, I think you can see that in um, in the latest lawsuit that uh, Trump is bringing against you know uh, social media, not understanding the different you know what first amendment free speech is it's when the right. government interferes with your speech, not when, you know, a company does, but that's,
1: I don't think he gets it. I, I, they don't. And the, the lack of just core competencies is going to be their death nail. Uh, yeah. But dead. the scary part
0: is Kurt. I mean, there are millions of people who buy this. Oh yeah. How do and- you, how do you get them brought up to reality? Cause I don't, you're not going to get drunk. Trump yeah. is never going to change. As you said earlier, Trump is Trump. He's he's genuine. He's a genuine, narcissistic, addle-minded, yeah. <laughs> autocratic, bureaucratic, fascist, egotistical cocksucker. And you're never going to get that to change. <laughs> but I have hope that there are people who will learn and change. How do you do that? And that's that's the last thought we'll have before we go into break.
1: Your, your answer to that one. Well, I, I think that Again, the first thing you have to do is try to get some of the noise to stop. I don't think that people can move beyond this moment in time until Trump has been actually dispensed with in a definitive way. He, you know, the fact that he lost in 2020, but he always was available to run in 2024. Like that was always going to be, you know, that door was open for him. If he runs and loses in 2024, hey, that's it. Like there's nothing left for him to to run for at that point. He can't run again. He'll be just too freaking old. Um and, he is and, now, but but like he'll really be like that. Would put him in you know eight years from now. It's like it's just not gonna happen. And so it's until that door is definitively closed for both him and the Republican Party. Like everything is frozen right now in the Republican Party. Nothing is changing, nothing is evolving, nothing is moving beyond because Trump is still king of the, of the party. Until the king is, is gone, there's not gonna be any movement, any changing, any recalibration at all. Yeah,
0: but if Trump is gone, does Trumpism evaporate, or does it transmute, or does
1: someone take, you know, like DeSantis, take the the helm as the new king? Someone will try to take the mantle, but the thing is, they're going to be an imitation. They're going to be a knockoff, and it it never is what it could be when you have that situation. Ron DeSantis is a political creature who came up in the political world. He's a member of the House of Representatives. He's an elected official. His entire DNA is completely different than Donald Trump's in just about every way.
0: Well, brother, I think the DNA of most people is entirely different from Donald Trump's
1: in many <laughs> ways. <but> <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Most of it probably isn't made of cheese Whiz, so you got that. You <laughs> um,
0: or hamburgers. <laughs> but,
1: but I think that people can try to pretend to be the next incarnation of Donald Trump, but no one's ever going to be. He is a very unique figure all to himself. I mean, even before he was in politics, there's a very distinct and unique and non-duplicate, you know, you can't make another one. You can yeah. just pump one out of a factory. Like who Donald Trump is, is from decades and decades of, of experience and, you know, cultivating an image and, you know, dealing with the media and, and coming up in, in tabloid world and all that. Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, all of these people traditional politicians who came up and know nothing other than serving in public office, who know nothing other than what it's like to have your schedule and life revolve around the congressional calendar, they are not gonna ever be able to be what Donald Trump was.
0: No, I, and I, but what I think Donald Trump has done is exposed the vacuousness of many of our elected officials and how they are willing to, to cling to power in any way possible. Right. even subverting the good of the nation for the good of themselves. That's, That's what's frightening. And I don't think that ends when I, I think if Trump ends that, that portion of Trump, that, that portion of Trumpism, I think is with us for a while. We've got to get rid of gerrymandering. We have to educate people a little bit better And God, you know, and this is on us. I, I think our, our profession needs to improve itself quite a bit in order to make sure that Uh, that some of the more caustic portions of Trumpism uh, cease to exist. But that's a thought we'll take going into the break. We'll take another break. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. Again, that's at J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Asked the Question. And hey, it's a great FM radio DJ voice. I'm, <laughs> I'm Brian Karam. This is Kurt Bardella. And Kurt, I guess the thing that I, I you know, we spoke at the beginning about country music. Who's your favorite? Uh, who's your favorite artist?
1: Oh my, yeah, that 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 that's tough. Yeah, I love me some. I'll give you a, a handful. A very. Brief okay. I'm a big Brad Paisley. Tim ah. McGraw, Um, love uh, Eric Church is one of my favorites. I think Eric Church is probably the most passionate live performer I've ever seen in any format of music. Um, yeah, I think that you know Tim McGraw just has so many just classic timeless songs uh, that have stood the test of time, and he does such an amazing job of putting out songs that, uh, that oftentimes speak to a moment that we're in. Um, you know, and, and with Brad, you know, you know, this guy's got 24 number one hits and, uh, and, and I call him the, the conscience of country music. He, you know, this is a guy who is out there right now, publicly advocating for, you know, getting the vaccine, you know, just did an event with Dr. Joe Biden. Now and what and, a concept. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah you know, someone who has a song that everybody, you know, associates with him called American Saturday Night that is actually a song about immigration and America's diversity and champions uh, America's diversity. Uh, yeah, this, he has been at the forefront of so many things culturally from country music and, 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 and I think ahead of the curve on so many things. The song they, that they put out when Obama got elected called Welcome to the Future. Uh, that he played for Obama in the White House in the Eastern of the White House, um, you know. Oftentimes, people associate country music, I think, with Republicans and conservatives. But you know, to me, oh, I know plenty of liberal Democrats that are country music <laughs> fans. That's <laughs> a- to me, the music, you know, it is can stretch beyond that, and um, you know, a lot of these artists just have something to say that connects in a much more universal way, and uh, you know, those artists like brad tim and eric really kind of speak that maren morris another what about one. the old country music you ever listen to any of the older stuff well i mean like everybody in this format like we all hear everything i know from charlie pride obviously who, who Charlie recently, pride is great he passed away um you know he, he, you know old school hank is always something that you love hank I, you williams know, yeah, yeah senior, uh not junior uh you know yeah. george, george Strait, uh, who's still going strong well, I mean, you got to get to Waylon and Willie and the boys. Well, and, and then I was going to actually say, like there's this whole, what I call the Bakersfield boys. Uh, as someone who spent a little time in Bakersfield uh, at one point in time professionally, you know, the the, the Merle Haggard, Buck Owens. Uh, Johnny Cash was, and, um, you know, and, and you can't forget about the women. You know, Tammy Wynette, Loretta oh, Lynn, no. Dolly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at the real, it's so funny that country get labeled so conservative, but I'm like, The most progressive women in all of music, in my opinion, a lot of them came from that country format. When you look at... Well, let's switch genres
0: for a second and talk about rock. What do you like in in rock and roll?
1: My favorite band of all time is, is the Eagles, actually. Ah, I got a peaceful, easy feeling. There you go. My, 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 I'll never forget.
0: The and how could you, did you, now, wait a minute. So did you watch The Big Lebowski? Of course. Everyone's gone. <laughs> and I hate the fucking Eagles, man. <laughs> How'd you watch that?
1: <laughs> my, the first time I ever got to go to a concert at Madison Square Garden was uh, 2014. And it was the Eagles. Really? Uh, which, which, I, which I treasure now because obviously Glenn Frey would later go on and, right. uh, and pass away um but they are my favorite band of all time and and i think my one of the greatest concert experiences outside of them was actually in nashville uh in 2015 seeing the rolling stones play lp field ah just um, amazing so what was your first concert my first concert was uh, a country concert it was uh, eric church and jason aldean that's i mean your first concert you ever went to
0: uh, outside of you know like going to you know a bar well, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, that was my first concert, Eric Church, Jason Aldean, 20, 2010. And what was your favorite concert experience? Oh, man, that's tough. Um, Eric Church at Madison Square Garden in 2014 was really special because I actually got to meet him through kind of a fluke of things that happened. Um, I had sent an email to his manager, and this is just me as a fan at this point. Right. I, you know, I wasn't in the business in any way. And I just said, hey, I heard Eric's playing MSG. Congratulations. I know why that's such a big deal. The backstory there was the last time he played that building was seven years prior when he was opening for another act and he got fired from the tour that night because he played 30 minutes over. Ooh. Ironically, the person who replaced him on that tour was an unknown girl named Taylor Swift. Go figure. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> but so, this, so Eric headlining MSG was like, wow, that's really cool. After being fired, from that tour in that building seven years prior, you're you're headlining it. That's so awesome, and much to my shock, the manager, a guy named John peach wrote me back said there are two tickets at will call for you if you make it. I'm like, okay, oh, I'm oh hell yeah, right <laughs> now, like, literally. I, I like went to the train station like an hour later. Like I'm going to the show, and sure enough, uh, there was when I picked up the tickets. The the person who got them was like, you know, how did you get these tickets? I'm like, oh guy named John Pete said, Oh, you're one of John's people. Okay. Come with us. Ended up in the bowels of Madison square garden. And, and they said like, Hey, Eric's going to come out in five minutes. Before he goes to stage, you should say hi to him. I'm like, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. And what's and, the biggest, the biggest act you've ever seen? Probably Garth. Ah. Um, you know, Gar- I, I've gotten to see Garth Brooks a handful of times now, but you know, I remember seeing him, for the first time live at a festival called Stagecoach, in California, with you know, and this is like a, a seventy-five thousand people are there. Wow, um, it's uh, that was pretty magical. And although I don't know if anything will ever top what I just got to do Which on July fourth in Nashville, Tennessee, three hundred and fifty thousand people watching Brad Paisley, you know, and I you know, and, and being there for that was pretty special. That's pretty cool. Now. Yeah. One of the things I like to close out
0: with, and this is an issue that has kind of picked up over the years, and originally it was a marginal issue, or at least it was derided. I remember that when people would ask about this in a briefing room, people would roll their eyes. But with the latest uh, stuff from the DOD and with some of the videos, uh, Mm -hmm. unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAP, which used to be called UFOs, have once again kind of caught the public's conscious. Have you ever seen anything you can't explain? And
1: and if you have, what was it? And if you haven't, do you believe in? I haven't. I wish I I wish I did. Yeah. Um, I think a couple of things are possibly going on here. Number one, I'm very much into the theory that it's actually us from the future. Wow. That makes I've, sense to me. Uh, there's another theory that I buy into that it's actually kind of a, 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 a multiverse situation where... There's like a fluctuation and a little blip of something shines through. I have to believe that if there is other intelligent life out there, they've taken one look at us and go, they're not ready for us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if there's intelligent life out there, they have to be more advanced than us, and they would look at us like we look at cockroaches. They're going yeah. to once they can prove they're not going to kill each other, maybe we'll talk to
1: them. Yeah. Otherwise, like, I'm not wasting my time. If I'm an intelligent species out there I'm looking at earth right now I'm like okay so let's get this straight there is a pandemic killing all of you you have the cure but some of you refuse to take it what
0: What? (laughs) that could be a whole nother podcast just on that because I I find it amazing that people still fight that and that's you know I, I I I'm with you if there's intelligent life out there I don't think we divide ourselves. I think one of the scariest things that I see, there was a brief time during the seventies when I thought, maybe, maybe we've turned the corner and maybe we're going to all, you know, you know, like the Sly and the family stone song or everyday people, you are me and I am you and all that crap. And then it quickly disintegrated today. It's we disparage people because of the color of their skin, the religion that they worship whether or not they have any money, where they live, what flag they wrap themselves in. Any way we can divide ourselves, we do. And we simply ignore the things that are more important that, you know, there's 7 billion of us on this planet and we're destroying the globe and we do nothing about it. So Mm -hmm. if I were an intelligent species, I would go, well, you know, let's give them about 50 years because they might destroy themselves and we could just move in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you look at it, if you're another species out there, you're like, wait a second. So you guys have one planet and you're like ruining it. It's literally on fire half the time. Well, don't come anywhere near our galaxy. Shit. You guys are on your own.
0: You know, you still got some gold and some water and some land and some pretty trees. Well, just wait till you kill yourselves. And then, you know, we'll open it up as, you know, this would be where we go for vacation.
1: <laughs> what I think would be hilarious is if it's actually in you know, our future selves. Who are taking a, a class on a field trip to our time to show what a bunch of idiotic Neanderthals we were? Well, that would be a, actually a hopeful sign to me that we have a future. I,
0: I'm exactly that's, that's the optimistic version of yeah, it. Yes, I'm. I'm concerned that we. You know, I have my first grandson, and my biggest concern is what will the world? And I look at the fights but, that we have politically. What kind of world is this poor kid going to inherit? Yeah. And I, I look at today, you know, those of us growing up, you know, I always, you know, my parents always said, look, we want you to do better than we did. And, and, and I have, but I, and I'm concerned that my kids will be able to do better than I have because it, it, it with all that's going on, boy, there's a hopeful note in there. <laughs> well,
1: I will say in a hopeful way, every generation that comes next, I have observed is, they are smarter, they are more diverse, they are more adaptable, they are more aware of the world that we are in than the one that came before. And as long as that continues to be the case, there's hope. I think as long as there's Pickle Rick, there's hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's there's my rick and morty plug for the day (laughs) well kurt it was absolutely a pleasure having i hope you come back sometime it was a i'd like to talk more about uh republicans democrats uh going forward especially going into the 22 2022 election cycle i think we're we're starting that cycle soon
1: yeah well there'll be no shortage of things to talk about
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) thanks for being with us the uh show is just asked the question I am your host, Brian Karam, and thanks for listening.